Good morning, everyone. That was awesome. I don't even have to do that a second time. You guys are getting good. Yeah. Welcome, Boulevard Christian Church. My name's Ed, one of the pastors here, and just want to say welcome. Especially if you're new here, just want to let you know that you're in the right place. And just to catch you up from last week, you may know by the title that we're going through the book of Acts, or the Acts of the Apostles, which really picks up where we left off with our Easter sermon series, talking about the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. So we're picking up right where the apostles had left off. And last week we did the first few verses of Acts, and Chuck was sharing with us that the apostles were waiting on the Holy Spirit. And he also shared with us how waiting isn't sitting around doing nothing. Waiting is being attentive and participating in what God has planned. Because you see, we're all participating in God's plan. Because God uses people like you, people like me, and people all over the world to accomplish his plan. So that's where we find ourselves. Following the ascension, the apostles waiting. So let's go ahead, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, go ahead and flip open to Acts chapter 1. And we're going to pick up exactly where we left off. We're going to pick up in verse 12. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day journey away. And when they had entered, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary the mother of Jesus and his brothers. In those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. The company of persons was in all about 120 and said, Brothers, the scripture had to be fulfilled, which the Holy Spirit spoke beforehand by the mouth of David concerning Judas, who became a guide to those who arrested Jesus. For he was numbered among us and was allotted his share in this ministry. Now this man acquired a field and with the reward of his wickedness, and falling headlong, he burst open in the middle, and his bowels gushed out. And it became known to all of the inhabitants of Jerusalem, so that this field, in their own language, Akeldama, that is, field of blood. For it is written in the book of the Psalms, May his camp become desolate, and let there be no one to dwell in it, and let another take his office. So one of the men who have accompanied us during all of the time that the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning from the baptism of John until the day when he was taken up from us, one of these men must become with us a witness to his resurrection. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take the place in this ministry and apostleship from which Judas turned aside to go his own way. And they cast lots for them, and the lot fell on Matthias, 
and he was numbered with the eleven apostles. This is God's word. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you so much. We thank you for allowing us to come and enter into your presence today. We thank you for allowing us to come into your house and spend time with you. That song we sang, I want to know you. I want to know you more. Lord, that is why we are here. We do want to know you. We want to know you more. And Lord, we're thankful that we have your word to help us know you. Lord, we thank you for your great love for us. We thank you for your son, Jesus. Be with us now. Open us our ears, open our hearts, and open our spirits to hear from you today. In Christ's name we pray, amen. So last week, as I said, we talked about the ascension, which following the resurrection of Jesus, Jesus went and met with the apostles and the disciples and did some time with them, did some life, continued to teach them, and then ultimately was called up into heaven. And we also found out, like I said, that they were told to go and wait for the Holy Spirit. But in addition to waiting, they were also told something important was going to happen when the Holy Spirit came. In verse 8 of uh, chapter 1 of Acts, we're told that they would receive power when the Holy Spirit came on them. So that's where we find ourselves. And that's where we find the apostles. They're returning to Jerusalem. And we don't see them sitting around doing nothing, even though they were told to wait. We see them participating and engaging, just as Chuck had shared with us. See, they were looking for what's next. And if you remember the text, they quoted from David in the Psalms that they needed to replace Judas. Because if you remember from our Good Friday service, that Judas had betrayed Jesus. He had sold Jesus for a few silver coins which ultimately led to his arrest, him being beaten, tortured, and crucified. So Jesus or Judas needed to be replaced, and that's exactly what the apostles are doing now. They're looking for what's next. And it's only possible because of a couple things, and actually they're named very early in the text. Verse 14 said they were of one accord. Now, I like the New American Standard translation on that because a lot of us don't know what the word accord means, myself included. Um, it actually is translated as one mind. They had the same thought. They had the same goals. They had the same wishes because they were in unity spiritually. And that spiritual unity really only comes from a couple of things. One, doing life together. They just spent the last few years living together, eating together, ministering together, hanging out with Jesus together. So they had a common thought process. So they were of one mind. And the other aspect is they were continually devoted to prayer. They were dedicated to praying. Now, I'll be honest with you, I don't think the apostles were praying for the Holy Spirit to come. See, nowhere in Scripture does it say that they were praying for the Holy Spirit to come. 
Jesus himself didn't say, go back to Jerusalem and pray for the Holy Spirit to come. Jesus said, go back to Jerusalem and you will receive the Holy Spirit. It was a promise, not something that they had to go and pray for. But something unique has happened, actually, again. Because if you remember Good Friday, we left Jesus. He had been crucified and was buried. And the apostles and the disciples were left alone. And again, as we open into the book of Acts, the apostles find themselves alone. Jesus has ascended into heaven. And prayer was the only way they knew to communicate with Jesus and with Father and with heaven. And they're doing this because that is exactly what they had seen modeled time and time and time again throughout their ministry with Jesus. So today we're going to take a look at some of those and see Jesus' prayers when he went away to pray, and what led for that. Because I think there's an important lesson about prayer. So, let's go ahead and flip over to the Gospel according to Mark. Chapter 1. And we're going to pick up in verse 35. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he departed, Jesus, And went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. And he said to them, Let us go on to the next towns, that I may preach there also. For that that is why I came out. And he went throughout Galilee, preaching in their synagogues and casting out demons. So what we learn right here is that Jesus would go away and pray. But we also learn that Peter and gang knew that because they went searching for him. So they were accustomed to seeing him in prayer with the Father. Let's flip over to the Gospel according to Luke. And be honest with you, we're going to do a bunch of jumping around today, but all in the Gospels. And let's uh, take a look at Luke chapter 5. And we're going to take a look, beginning in verse 12. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now, even more, the report about him went abroad. And great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. So Jesus heals a man of leprosy, and if you're not familiar with leprosy, it was a very horrible disease. And it would cause the skin to slowly start to decay, and people would lose ears, noses, as parts would fall off. And it was so bad that if you came down with leprosy, you weren't even allowed to stay in your home. 
You couldn't even stay in the town. You would be cast out. And if you saw people coming towards you, you would have to yell, unclean, to let them know not to come near you. Because you didn't want to catch this. Because there was no cure. And yet we find Jesus not caring about that. He goes out and he touches the leper and says, be clean. Now, he did instruct the you know, leper to not go and tell everybody about this, but as we read in the text, word got out rather quickly. Because, I mean, let's face it, if you've got a cure for something that had no cure that led to death, people would want some of that. So people came in droves seeking out Jesus, and he withdrew and spent some time in prayer. Let's skip a couple chapter or a couple uh, uh, one chapter over to Luke chapter six. We're going to pick up in verse twelve. In those days, he went out to the mountain to pray, and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them twelve whom he named apostles. Simon, who he named Peter, and Andrew, his brother, and James and John, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon, who was called the Zealot, and Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot, who became the traitor. So here we find Jesus going away to pray again. And not just some random, Father, I need some help here. He spent all night in prayer. You see, he was looking for guidance on who was going to be called as one of his twelve, one of the apostles. Someone set aside to an office above, just disciple. In addition for that, I believe he was praying for them. See, Jesus loves to pray for people. He loves to pray for us. Read in Romans chapter 8 and Hebrews chapter 7 about how Jesus is interceding before the Father for us. He is praying on our behalf already. So I have no doubt in my mind that part of this was praying for these men. Because, you see, they're getting ready to go and do some life together spend the next few years together. He's going to be teaching them. He's going to be ministering to them. They're going to be ministering to others. They're going to be eating together, sleeping together, traveling together. They're going to be doing life together. Kind of sounds like a life group. Pardon the pun. It's what we call them here for a certain reason. But So he's praying for them and who to choose. Let's flip over to Matthew, chapter 14, and pick up in uh, verse 1. At that time, Herod the Tetrarch heard about the fame of Jesus, and he said to his servants, This is John the Baptist, who has been raised from the dead, and that is why these miraculous powers are at work in him. 
For Herod had seized John and bound him and put him in prison, and for the sake of Herodias, his brother Philip's wife, because John had been saying to him, It is not lawful for you to have her. And though he wanted to put him to death, he feared the people because they held him to be a prophet. But when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company and pleased Herod, so that he promised with an oath to give her whatever she may ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. And the king was sorry, but because of his oaths and his guests, he commanded it to be given. He sent and had John beheaded in prison, and his head was brought on a platter and given to the girl. And she brought it to her mother. And his disciples came and took the body and buried it, and they went and told Jesus. Now when Jesus heard this, he withdrew from there in a boat to a desolate place by himself. So John the Baptist, for those who've been around, was a prophet sent by God to announce the coming Messiah. He wasn't just some prophet, he was also Jesus' cousin. But he was the one sent to announce the coming of our Lord and Savior and was telling people, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. As a matter of fact, one day Jesus comes to him by the lakeside to be baptized. And John, after arguing that he wasn't worthy to do it, conceded and allowed himself to be buried, or to baptize Jesus. But then he, one day he gets captured by Herod and is put in prison, and then ultimately, as we read, he's executed. And Jesus, upon hearing this loss, his cousin, the prophet, goes away to a desolate place to pray. Maybe some of us can relate to that story about the need to go away to pray. Let's skip a few verses, same chapter, 14, pick up in 22. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him into the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. This section comes right after another famous text, which was right after the execution of John the Baptist, where Jesus feeds 5,000 men. Now, if you factor in women, children, there's probably between 18 and 20,000 people. And Jesus, if you remember the story, took a couple loaves of bread and a couple fish, lifted them up and gave thanks to the Father, and fed them all. Some of the other gospel accounts say that they wanted to immediately make Jesus king, but he withdrew. And then he went away to pray. And right after this is the event that actually Pastor Ken shared about with Jesus going and walking out on water to the apostles, which led to Peter saying, yeah, I want some of that. Can I come out there? And he's like, yeah, sure, come on. And unfortunately, as we learned, when we take our eyes off of Jesus, it's not too long before we're sinking. And there's a thing for, about prayer in there too, I believe, because that's how we keep our eyes on Jesus. Let's flip over one gospel to 
Mark chapter 9. We're going to pick up right in verse 2. And after six days, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John and led them up on a high mountain by themselves. And he was transfigured before them. And his clothes became radiant, intensely white, as no one on earth could bleach them. And there appeared to him Elijah with Moses. And they were talking with Jesus. And Peter said to Jesus, Rabbi, it is good that we are here. Let us make three tents. One for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. And a cloud overshadowed them, and a voice came out of the cloud, This is my beloved Son. Listen to him. And suddenly, looking around, they no longer saw anyone with them, but Jesus only. I love this one because... This is one of the few times we get to see what life was like for Jesus when he prayed. And he allowed people to get a little bit of a glimpse of that. He invited Peter, James, and John to come hang out with him while he went up onto the mountainside to pray. And we hear what that's like. We get to hear how Jesus is radiated. He's transfigured into his heavenly form. His clothes whiter than any white that Clorox can ever grant us here on earth. And he talks with Moses and Elijah. And Peter being Peter says something stupid. You know, can I get you guys a tent? Um, But that's Peter. But then God calls down and says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. You know, those words were used another time. And we talked about just a text ago. John the Baptist, when he baptized Jesus, those same words were spoken. The Spirit descended on Jesus like a dove, and the Lord said, This is my beloved Son. Listen to him. Flip over to Matthew chapter 6, 9 through 13. And just about everyone should be familiar with this one because we say it here every single week. It's the Lord's Prayer. You see, the the disciples and the apostles understood the importance of speaking to God. They understood that they needed to be in communion with their Creator. But they wanted to know how to do that. And who better to give them a model than the Son of God himself? So they came to Jesus one day and said, Lord, teach us to pray. So he did. And he taught them, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. I have a question for you. How many of us on a Sunday just sit and recite that? We see it up on the screen, and we're just, 
Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Kingdom come, Ravens games coming too. Seriously, I've seen it. I've been guilty of it myself too. Okay? But this isn't something that we just recite. Prayer needs to come from the heart. Even when it is a model, it isn't just something to just utter. And if you grow up in the King James, you know, you got that beautiful, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom. You know, sounds awesome. But if it just becomes a mantra, it loses its power. Think it through next time you're saying it. Our Father in heaven. How awesome is that? Just in its own, we're not there yet. We can't begin to fathom that. Hallowed be your name. Holy be your name. He is a perfect creator. He is blameless, sinless, and faultless. How many of us can sit here today and say that? Not a one. Give us today our daily bread. When was the last time we gave thanks you know, for what we received? There's so much good stuff in there. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. You know, when we face temptations, and everybody does, when we face temptations to do something that we know is against the will of God, that is when we should be falling on our knees and saying, Lord, give me strength. Lead me not in temptation, but deliver me from this evil. Because ultimately, yours is the kingdom, power and the glory. And that's what we're praying for. We're asking, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. That is our prayer as a Christian. Not for the end, not for when we die, not for what glory will one day look like. Jesus came so that we could have heaven here on earth, so that the church can be an example of what heaven will one day look like so that we can be the love of God to a dark world. That is what that prayer is about. And if we sit here and just recite it, it loses its power. Prayer has to be real. Which is going to bring us to our last example. Matthew 26. We're going to pick up in verse 36. Then Jesus went with them to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, Sit here while I go over there and pray. And taking with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, he began to be sorrowful and troubled. Then he said to them, My soul is very sorrowful even to death. Remain here and watch with me. And going a little further, he fell on his face and prayed, My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, as I will, but as you will. And he came to the disciples and found them sleeping. And he said to them, So could you not watch with me one hour? 
Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. Again, for the second time, he went away and prayed, My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were heavy. So leaving them again, he went away and prayed for a third time, saying the same words again. Then he came to the disciples and said to them, Sleep and take your rest later on. See, the hour is at hand, and the Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. I don't know about you, but that's pretty raw and real. See, this is the prayer that Jesus prays before being betrayed by Judas. See, he's on his way. He's got the guard with him, and they're getting ready to arrest him. Jesus knows what's about to unfold. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be tried. He's going to be beaten some more. He's going to be tortured. He's going to be ridiculed, mocked, made fun of, and then ultimately told, take up your cross. His own instrument of death and carry it. To which he does. To a little hill outside Jerusalem called Golgotha. But in this prayer, we learn great number of things. First off, he's praying. He knows what's going to happen. And he's praying to the Father, take this from me. Is there any other way? Take this burden, this cup. But if it's not your will, I'll do it. That's what he's saying. Then he comes and he finds the guys he's been spending the last few years with asleep. And if you remember the Lord's Prayer, he tells them the same things. Get up and pray that you don't fall into temptation. Exactly what he had taught them a few years before. Lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. That is what they're supposed to be praying for, not to fall in but to stand up for what's right and what needs to happen. And then he goes off again and he prays, Father, please take this burden from me. But not my will, but yours be done. And then finally a third time he goes and he prays the same prayer before he's betrayed. You see, prayer and life ultimately come down to just one thing. It's not how much money you have, how many degrees you have, how big your house is, what type of car you drive, where you vacation. It comes down to whose will are you doing in life. Not my will, but yours be done. Jesus models the importance of prayer. He teaches us that we, prayer is how we learn God's will for our lives. Just like he did in the garden. He learned that this 
is the path. He teaches us to pray when we have decisions to make, just like he did when the apostles had to be chosen. He teaches us to pray when we feel overwhelmed, just like in the garden. And he teaches us to pray when we need strength, just as we saw with each of the miracles and each time he went away from healing people to feeding people. He went away to reconnect to the Father so that it never became about me, but about him. Because too often when we start doing the things, when we think it's us feeding the people, or we think it's us healing the people, or clothing the people, or any of the most awesome things we can ever do, when we start inserting the word, look what I did, look at me, it is no longer your will be done, it is my will be done, and there is a huge disconnect I want to share with you a quote from Oswald Chambers, and actually I told Pastor Ken. And if you're in the kids' ministry, you know I love Oswald Chambers. I send it out pretty regularly, his devotional, my utmost for his highest. But Oswald Chambers says, Prayer does not equip us for the greater works. Prayer is the greater work. So let's flip back to the book of Acts where we left off. So the apostles have their decision to make. They've narrowed it down to two people who were there from the beginning, from when John baptized Jesus all the way up through the ascension. They had narrowed it down to these two guys. And they knew, the scripture said, that they needed to choose a replacement. I want us to take a look at verses 23 and 24 again. And they put forward two, Joseph called Barsabbas, who was also called Justice, and Matthias. And they prayed and said, You, Lord, who know the hearts of all, show which one of these two you have chosen to take place in this ministry and apostleship. They could have easily just said, you know what, dude, you know, you've been there since the beginning. You know, I've I got to be honest, Matthias, I kind of like you a little bit more than justice. And could have done that route. You know, they could have allowed favoritism to play in, but that's not what they did. They went and they prayed. They prayed to the Lord Jesus, who would you have fill this office Because again, it comes down to not our will, but your will be done. So they sought his will, they sought his wisdom, and ultimately, Matthias was chosen. So it leads us to just a few questions that we should be asking ourselves. How's your prayer life? love the movie The War Room. We got to go see it, and I've seen it many times since. There's a scene in there where uh, she brings out some coffee. She sets a cup out. One of the actors in the, takes the cup, and she drinks it and almost spits it out because it's just lukewarm. See, our prayer life can be hot. 
can be cold. It can also be lukewarm. So how's yours? It's a great question to ask. It's one we should probably be asking pretty much every day. Um, But think about these things. Do you have things going on in life? Anybody ever got anything going on in life? I know I do. Any hardships going on? Any illnesses in the family? Any decisions at work that need to be made? Kids maybe not doing what you wanted them to do? You know, spouse not acting as you thought they should? Friends? Whatever. Anybody got anything going on in life? Do you have any decisions that need to be made in your life? Like maybe where to go to school, what job to take. See, it comes down to that question that we asked. Whose will are you seeking? Are you seeking yours or his? Because you see, there isn't anything that we should ever do without first coming to the Lord in prayer. There shouldn't be a decision that you make, a conversation that you have, without first coming to the Lord in prayer. That's what it means to continually be in prayer, just as we read in Acts. It doesn't mean 24-7. It means that you're continually surrendering to Jesus. We're told to take up our cross and die to ourselves and follow him. That's what that means, to continually surrender to him. We're to seek his will, his counsel, because I don't know about you, but if I was left in charge, this wouldn't be going too well. I'm sure most of us, if we're honest, can admit the same thing. So take time to pray. You know, but here's the thing. We can only come to the Father in prayer because of what Jesus did. Jesus came. He died on the cross so that we can be forgiven of our sins. He was buried in a tomb so that we could be dead to our sin. And then he rose so that we can have new life and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And that's where we leave the apostles waiting on the promise of that gift. But thankfully, we're a couple thousand years removed from this. And we have that option to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So have you received that gift? Have you surrendered your life to Christ? Have you decided to say, not my will, but yours be done, and take up your cross daily and follow him? In a moment, I'm going to close us in prayer. And if you haven't made that decision, if you haven't decided to surrender your life to Jesus Christ, I'd invite you to come forward, meet with one of the elders, and talk about what it means to follow Jesus. Friends, let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much. 
Father, we thank you first and foremost that we can even come into your presence. That we can even come to you in prayer. Father, we thank you. We thank you that you loved us so much that you would send your son to come and live among us to teach us to die for us to overcome death and sin so that we can have new life just as he had new life through the resurrection and lord we are so so grateful because lord there is no greater gift that can ever be given than salvation And Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, we also know that uh, as we go through life, we do have decisions to be made. We do have hurts and pains in our lives. We do have betrayals. We have so much going on. Death, illness, disasters. There is so much that goes on in this world that we can't even begin to wrap our heads around it. But Lord, we're thankful that we can pray to you. We're thankful that we don't have to have the answers. Help us to rest in the knowledge that you do, that you are the great I am, and we are not. But Lord, help us to pray. Help us to seek you first and foremost in everything we do so that ultimately we are saying not my will but yours be done we thank you and we praise you and love you in the name of jesus amen